Um, with that in mind, turn to Genesis chapter 13. And we will read this chapter, not a very long chapter, but a lot of great stuff in here for us. Genesis chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar, which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Lot also, who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them, that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right, or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go toward Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. And the Lord said to Abram after, uh, after Lot had separated from him, Lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. So that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. Father, as we consider your word this morning, May you speak to us. May you quicken our hearts and our minds to receive and to understand all that you have for us. Lord, we are open. Speak for your servants are listening in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, Lord, we are grateful to be here. Then Abram went up from Egypt, and he and his wife and all that he had and lot with him to the south. See, in chapter 12 last week, we had looked at God's call to Abram and all of the amazing things that God said to Abram as he was calling him out. And we had talked about from uh, Genesis 12 to 50 is all about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, the whole rest of the story. We also reminded you that the first 11 chapters of Genesis covered the first 2,000 years of history on the earth and the whole rest of the Bible. 
the Old Testament from Genesis 12 to the end of the prophets covers the next 2,000 years. It's pretty amazing. And so we're reading here that Abram went up from Egypt. Last week we found Abram having sort of a lapse of faith. He headed down to Egypt during a famine. And when he got there, he began to trust in himself and in his schemes and in his ability to control situations. And as we looked at that, we saw that while Abram was in Egypt, there was no altar, there was no worship in his life. Before he got to Egypt, he was building altars and worshiping the Lord. In fact, he built two altars. But when he got to Egypt, everything changed for him. And I think certainly that speaks to us as well as we consider the fact that we go through times in our lives when we are walking with the Lord and we are growing and we are in his word and he's speaking to us and we're just open to the things of God and then there are times when we have grown cold toward the Lord and we've you know, defaulted to trusting in ourselves and in our own understanding and of course uh, the Proverbs tell us, lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. And so now Abram, it says, went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him to the south. This seems a little uh, counterintuitive, but if you look at the geography of where Egypt is, they had to go in and dip sort of south down by the Fertile Crescent down into the Negev before they could go north again. So they traveled south to go north. And as they uh, did that, it says, and Lot with him to the south. Now a lot of this chapter is about Abraham and Lot's relationship. And remember that God had given Abram a call and he said to get out from your family and go to a place that I will show you. And then we were told that as Abram separated from his family after his father had died and he was now heading out to, to go and be obedient to what God had spoken to him, that as he went, it said that Lot went with him. And so now as we come into this chapter here, we begin to wonder just a little bit, was Lot's going with Abram uh, a thing of the Lord or is that something that you know, Abram allowed uh, because it was his family? You see, Abram and Sarai had no children and remember Lot was his brother Haran's son, so it was his nephew and no doubt Lot was probably like a son to him, but the Lord had told him to get out and to get away from his family. That was the call of God on his life, but yet he took some of his family with him. Now this isn't saying anything bad about family, it just has to do with, of course, the call of God on Abram's life. And so while they were in Egypt, we saw that God had uh, blessed Abram and Lot as they left Egypt. The Pharaoh wanted them gone because of the situation with Sarai, his wife, how they had gone in and lied about who she was. And um, the Pharaoh found out about it somehow. We believe the Lord revealed it to him and he was kind of uh, shaking in his boots, kind of going, wow, that was a close call. I could have taken her as my wife. I would have broken the law. And, and it seemed like there was a little bit of fear of God perhaps in his life. And he said, get out of here. And he blessed him and even, even gave him more stuff. And now as they're coming back from Egypt, we find that they're coming with more stuff, more livestock, more servants. And of course, in Egypt is where they picked up Her um, oh my goodness, Hagar, the handmaid. And so she would later, of course, come into play. But now as they are traveling and going back north, 
we find that Abram and his family, uh, as they are coming, they are very rich, we're told in verse 2, with livestock and silver and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south, so he went south and now from the south back north as far as Bethel. Bethel was just north or sort of north, uh, slightly northeast of Jerusalem. And uh, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. To the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now I find it interesting for Abram and for so many of the Old Testament saints that for them it was about a place. It was about the place where they first heard the voice of God or a place where God really spoke to them in a very rich and a very deep way. So as Abram had left Bethel and Ai in chapter 12, had wandered down to Egypt because of the famine, had a a tremendously difficult experience there. There was no altar there in Egypt and now he's coming back into the land. It says that he comes back to the place where he first was. And as he comes back to this place, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai. Remember last week we talked about that. Bethel means house of God. Ai means house of ruin. And he had pitched his tent between Bethel and Ai, and we talked about that, how uh, often that's the way it is for us. We're sort of camping in this world. We're living in the tent, just passing through, living between the house of God and the house of ruin. And if we go one direction, we go toward the house of God, and if we go the other direction, we go toward the house of ruin. And so he came to this place of the altar which he had first made. And I tell you, as I read this and I thought about it, there's these words in the scriptures, go back to the beginning. Remember Revelation chapter 2, as Jesus wrote a letter to the church of Ephesus, a church that was one of the mainstays, it was a stalwart, it was a foundational church in the New Testament as God had planted it through the Apostle Paul. And now we're about 30 years or so after the planting of that church. And here the Lord Jesus is saying, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Not lost it, but left it. And you see, that's exactly what Abram did when he went down to Egypt. He left his first love. He left the altar. He left the place of worship in his life. And in Revelation 2, 5, it says, says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. Go back to your first love. And that's what Abram was doing here. He was returning to the Lord. He was returning to his roots. And you see, we said last week that there is no sin, no failure so great that it can't be recovered. As long as we have breath, as long as it is a day, we can repent, we can return to the Lord. The prophet Jeremiah spoke these words, thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it and then you will find rest for your souls. You see, in a day and age that we live in, that changes every 30 seconds, and if you have a smartphone and you have notifications turned on, you know because they're coming up constantly throughout the day. 
And there is a constant race to find out who can report the latest news, even if it's not accurate. Who cares? We're the first ones to say it. And we live in this place where there's no more quiet, there's no more solitude, there's no more time and space for us to hear the voice of God. Is that true? Our jobs demanded of us. People are working from home and there's all these crazy things. Our, our boundaries are completely violated. And listen, the only way to draw near to the Lord is for you and I to get alone with Him. We have to get alone with Him and His Word and block out everything and turn off the ringer and turn the phone face down and put it in the other room and shut the door and don't answer the phone and don't answer the dings of the emails or the texts. We have to block that out. We have to have a holy space in our lives to hear the voice of God. Remember Elijah when he was going through that difficult time and he had finally gone away up to the mountain and he's waiting and it'd been three and a half years since there had been rain and as he was waiting there um, all of these signs came to him and there was a cloud and there was all these things and then there was the still small voice that spoke to him. We have to be able to quiet our hearts so that we can hear the still small voice as we read God's word and as we pray and as we seek his face. Abram returned to his first love. He returned to the place where he heard God's voice. And there's great wisdom here for us. You see, if, if you and I, as we sit here this morning and we consider these words, if it's been a long time, in my life or your life that we would sit here and say this morning, you know, I don't know, when was the last time I just felt like I heard from God? If that's in the rear view mirror, then it's time for us to go get alone with God. It's time for us to return to our first love. It's time for us to return to Bethel, to the house of God, to the altar, to go back and to do your first works over. You see, often God will not reveal the next step until we obey the present step that he has already revealed. Abram, in this case, understood only that he would have children and that those children would become a great nation. He did not know where they would live or how such things would be accomplished. As he and Sarai were beyond childbearing years, all he knew at the time was that God wanted him to leave Haran and move to Canaan. And it wasn't until he arrived in Canaan, as we go back to chapter 12, that God told him the next part of his life to give his descendants the entire land of Canaan. You see, God revealed it in pieces, didn't he? When he first spoke to him, he said, I'm going to bless you and make you a great nation. He says, you're going to have kids. And then when he traveled and, and left the, the, the land where his family was, and he got to the land of Canaan, and he got to Bethel, and there he heard the voice of the Lord. There he built the altar and there God spoke to him and revealed the next step and revealed more of what his plan would be. And so it is with us. So often, you know, it's like a business, right? We want the whole plan. We want the business plan all laid out. We, God, we want you to just tell us the way it's going to be so we can decide, isn't this the way we are, so we can decide if we want to follow God's plan or not. Or if we decide if there's something we want to tweak in God's plan. And that's not the way he works, is it? 
He speaks to us and then he waits for, for us to obey, to take that step and to follow his word, to listen to his voice. John, John chapter 10, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. They listen to my voice. They know the sound of my voice and they will obey the sound of my voice. So verse five, Lot also who went with Abram had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. So now they've reached a place where they needed more space between them. And this is part of what makes me think back to when God told Abram to get out from your family and go away to a place that I will show you that now because Lot went with him, now they've sort of reached this place where there's difficulty between them. The land where they are can't support them. Their possessions were so great uh, that there was a great difference between the riches of Abram and Lot. They both had great, great wealth, but Lot's wealth possessed him. You see, he didn't possess his wealth. His wealth possessed him. Abram had great possessions, but his possessions did not own him. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. I wonder why as Moses wrote this account, why did he inject in here the Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land? And I wonder if it's not because there's sort of the idea here that they were watching. They were watching what was going on between Abram and Lot. Certainly when you see this large of an entourage with this many riches and this much livestock just wandering and traveling all over the, the, the land side, as they come in to Canaan again, and I don't know exactly how many years it had been since they were first there when they went down to Egypt and then they came back, but no doubt if they had seen them before, they're looking at them now saying, while they're a lot bigger than they were before, what are they going to do? And you know, as, as you think of maybe uh, a large group of people wander into your area, you wonder, what are they up to? And so these people are, are likely watching them. And what's happening right now, as you see this large amount of people, some commentators have estimated that there was at least a thousand people in Abram's family and his, his household. And you start to think about that, now you add Lot and his family to that. And all of the possessions, this was, this was huge. And so there is strife between them. Abram said to Lot, verse eight, please let there be no strife between you and me, between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Saying to them, listen, we're, we're brothers, we're, we're family. We shouldn't be arguing, we shouldn't be fighting, we shouldn't be quarreling. You know, we need to remind ourselves as we think about this that people are always watching us, aren't they? They're watching our lives. They're watching how we conduct family business. Our neighbors are watching. Our coworkers are watching. They're listening to our language. Do we have colorful language at work but not at home or at church? Are we the same person at home that we are in the workplace or out somewhere when we're traveling? Is there a consistency of character? People are watching. 
And what was happening here, as people were reading this book that was the story between Abram and Lot, the issue was that they were striving. There was contention, there were factions, there was controversy, there was provocation, there were disputes, there were complaints. And you know, this is a horrible thing when it happens, when it happens anywhere, when it happens in a family, when it happens in a church, when it happens in a business, wherever it happens, strife is difficult, isn't it? Does anybody here like strife? Do you enjoy it? Do you like it when it's in your family? Do you like it when, when it's in your marriage, when it's in your workplace? The book of Proverbs, of course, is replete with wisdom on this. Proverbs 13, by pride comes nothing but strife, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. Proverbs 15, a wrathful man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger allays contention. Proverbs 17, the beginning of strife is like releasing water. Therefore, stop contention before a quarrel starts. I believe that's what Abram was doing here. The quarrels had started, but before it got out of hand, before it erupted into fisticuffs and, you know, a full-blown war, he said, no, no, we're brothers. We need to stop this. We're the leaders of our families. We need to put an end to this. People are watching us. It is honorable for a man to stop striving since any fool can start a quarrel. Have you ever seen this? I mean, turn on the news right now. Look at the people shouting obscenities at the police. I mean, anybody can go out there with a phone and record something and, and just start a provocation. Proverbs 26, where there is no wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no talebearer, strife ceases. So that tells us that gossip and backbiting and the, you know, just, hey, did you hear about that we share with people all the time. You see, these things cause strife. He who is of a proud heart stirs up strife, but he who trusts in the Lord will be prospered. You see, strife and contentions, you see, it's fueled by pride, but pride is the opposite of trusting in the Lord. You know, there's another word that's used for strife, and it's the word discord. Proverbs 6 says, perversity is in his heart and he devises evil continually. He sows discord. That's uh, Proverbs 6.14. Proverbs 6.19 says, a false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord among the brethren. It's interesting that the word discord, uh, it also gets at the same uh, meaning as strife, quarrels, and those kinds of things. But discord has an element in it that says it's like chipping away at the foundation. And when discord is being sown, it requires the ruling of a judge or a mediator. Have you ever known someone that you can't even have a conversation with them unless somebody else is present to referee? That's discord. Now the Word of God, of course, speaks to this. Philippians 2 says, do all things without complaining and disputing. You see, as believers in Jesus Christ, we have the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And of course, the Holy Spirit 
gives us self-control. That's one of the fruit, the manifestations of his work in our lives. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. There's that element of people watching us again, how we are conducting ourselves. <coughs> Excuse me. There are so many scriptures that speak to this. Paul in 1 Corinthians 3 says, when there is strife among us, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? You see, as believers in Christ, when we are acting carnal, when we are conducting ourselves in envy and strife, and there are divisions among us, again, Jesus said the world would know that we are his disciples by our love for one another. People are watching. Timothy, Paul writing to Timothy said, uh, speaking of a person who is proud and contentious, he knows nothing <clears throat> but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words which come from envy, strife, reveling, and evil suspicions and useless wranglings of men. You know those people. I'm sure you probably have one or two in your life <clears throat> where when you, it, you can't even have a conversation without it devolving into some kind of a dispute, some kind of a disagreement. Paul writing to Timothy says, <clears throat> avoid these kinds of people. From such, withdraw yourself. And then later in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, avoid foolish and ignorant disputes knowing that they generate strife. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 3, let him who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. You see, the mark of a mature believer is someone who seeks peace. In Romans chapter 12, verse 18, it says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And then in Romans 14, 19, So then let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Lot was at war with Abram because he was at war within himself. And he was at war within himself because he was at war with God. You see, people who are angry people, people who are contentious people, you see, there's a problem. The problem isn't you. The problem is their relationship with God. Now, if it's a believer, it's a serious issue. If it's an unbeliever, we can understand it to some extent because they don't know Christ. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They've never been forgiven of their sins and, and the anger washed away by the blood of Christ. But for those who are believers, it's a sad thing because that's a person who's striving with God ultimately. And their strife with God is spilling over into their relationships. Well, to come back to our situation here with Abram and Lot, verse 9, is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. You see, Abram was the elder statesman. 
Abram was the one who had the right to choose first. He was the patriarch, now of the family. It was his right, his prerogative to say, I will take this, you take that. He could have handled it that way and been well within his right. However, the graciousness of God, he's now walking with God, he's repented, he's come back to the Lord, he's come and he's worshiped the, at the altar. And now he exhibits this mature gracefulness and he says, just look, just go your way. And, and look across the land and just choose whichever direction you go, I'll go the other direction, it doesn't matter to me. It's more important to me that we live in peace and that we live as brothers. So take your, your family and your flock and go. You see, Abram fulfilled the New Testament principle of love that we find expressed in Philippians 2 where Paul the Apostle was writing about our Lord Jesus Christ and he said, let each of you look out not only for his own interests but also for the interests of others. You see, because Abram trusted in God, he didn't have to scheme. He didn't have to be obsessed with which part of the land Lot might want to take. He didn't look at it and say, well, I wanted that. You know how it is sometimes you have kids at the table and you have the dessert, or the last the cake or whatever, and you're like, okay, just take a piece and somebody will take a piece. Then the other kid's like, well, I wanted that piece. Right, we can be that way. Certainly, Lot and Abram could have been that way, but Abram said, no, just take it. Go the way you want to go. Listen to this. Abram did not have to be obsessed with his own rights, and neither do we. Everything we receive is the free gift of God and has nothing to do with our concept of rights. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, if everything you have is something you've received from God, why do you strive as though you had not received it? You see, God has given us everything. And God told Abram, didn't he? He said, I'm going to bless you. And you're going to be a blessing to others. And what I give you is going to be yours. So Abram knew that even if Lot took something that God had promised to him, that God was still in control. You see, Abram could give away anything, but God was ultimately in control. Verse thir uh, 10, excuse me, of chapter 13, And Lot lifted his eyes, and he saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord, destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Moses adding a little uh, tidbit in here so that we understand the context. Like the garden of the Lord, Eden, like the land of Egypt as you go toward Zoar. So here, as they are at Bethel, here's something important for us to know. Bethel is on the uh, top of a mountain. Bethel's at 3,000 feet elevation. And keep in mind, in that day, of course, there's no pollution, right? No pollution at all. So on the top of this mountain of Bethel, from there you can see east, west, north, and south. For, to the east, you can see the plain of Jordan. You can see the Jordan River Valley. You can see north to the, the Lake of Galilee. You can see Mount Hermon. And to the west, you can see the Mediterranean Sea. And, and to the south, you can see all the way down uh, the plains. So you can see this whole area. And so as Lot was looking 
Lot is not looking by faith. He's looking with his eyes. He lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan that it was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east and they separated from each other. You see, this is the tragedy of walking by sight rather than walking by faith. If we just do what seems good to us, if we just take what looks good to us, that which is appealing to the eye, then we're in danger because isn't that how Satan deceived Eve? Because it was appealing to her when he told her to look at the tree and to consider it? John the Apostle wrote, 1 John chapter 2, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. You see, Lot was trusting in what his eyes could see. So Lot chose the plain of Jordan. He decided to walk by sight rather than faith. And then as he now decides to take his, his family and his flock and to go in that direction, we're told in verse 12, Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. Now Sodom would have been toward the end, the southern end of the Dead Sea. We don't know at that point in time how big the Dead Sea was or if it even existed, but that was the area where Sodom and Gomorrah were. And it's interesting that we find that Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. It makes you wonder, did, did he know that when he made his choice? We don't know. But if he did, how interesting that would be that he chose to go in that direction. And we find that as he pitched his tent towards Sodom, that we now see a progression happening that will culminate in chapter 19 in Lot's life. He pitches his tent towards Sodom, and we see the progression of his life as we go through these next chapters where he keeps inching closer and closer to Sodom and Gomorrah till finally he's sitting in the gates as one of the elders. And we have to be careful with our choices. We have to be careful with sin. You see, we never know where sin is going to lead. For us to think that we can sin and control it and to know how it's going to go, we are deceiving ourselves. It's not true. It's the lie of Satan. You see, it wasn't Lot's choice that led his heart astray. His heart was already led astray, and it was demonstrated by his choices. And the Lord said to uh, Abram, verse 14, after Lot had separated from him, so notice here, now God is speaking to Abram again, now that his family is finally gone. God's got his attention. Lift your eyes now. And look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see I give to you and to your descendants 
forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, and your descendants also could be numbered. Now God is reinforcing his word, his promise to Abram. Lift your eyes now. Interestingly, that word now uh, could be better translated. It seems like it's more of a difficult word for the translators, but the word could now be translated, please. So now consider that this is the voice of God. This is Lord. This is Yahweh God speaking to Abram. And he says, lift your eyes, please. Consider what God is saying to Abram. Lift your eyes, please, and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, and this is what I'm going to give to you. I want you to consider for a moment that God was now opening Abram's eyes to vision. He didn't say to Abram, um, look at where you are. He said, look from where you are. Abram was at a place in his life where he needed to have the vision of God for his life. He may not have known the details, but you see, if he had God's vision for his life, he would know, generally speaking, how he should live and what direction he should go, how he should conduct himself. And I think this speaks to us this morning. As you think about your own life, don't look at where you are per se, but look from where you are. Lift up your eyes. What do you see? What is God speaking to your heart? Now maybe your life so far hasn't gone the way you thought it would go or that you wanted it to go. But as we consider the question, and I hope that you will all consider it this morning, the question being, God, what do you have for me? As God spoke to Abram, perhaps he's speaking to us this morning and saying, lift your eyes, please, and look from the place where you are. What do you see? Where is God leading you? What does God have for you in your life? What is his vision for you? I'm not suggesting these are easy questions to answer, but the answers can be found here in God's word. They can be found by going to the altar and seeking the face of God and asking for his direction. Lift up your eyes, please, from where you are and look and pray and seek the Lord and ask him to give you his vision for you, for your life, for our church. What does he have for you? And as he repeats his word, as he repeats his promise to Abram, this is now at least the fourth or fifth time that God is repeating this to him. Let me remind you, and certainly the word of God will remind us of this as well, that we need to hear through repetition over and over what God's word has to say to us, don't we? Because as we read God's word, and whether it's New Testament or old, and we read words like repent, Return to your first love. Worship the Lord. Honor God with the first of all of your flock. Seek him with your whole heart. 
God rewards those who diligently seek him. As we read this week in our devotional times for the devotions we're posting in the Gospel of Luke, that theme came up this week over and over and over about seeking God. There was a, a devotional this week as we went through Luke uh, 14 or 15, I forget, where it was talking about Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, then you must come after me. It's like a, he notched it up from just follow me. He says, you must come after me. And you see these things are repeated to us over and over and over. And we are reminded as Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You see, we're dense. We are compared or likened to sheep. Sheep get skittish. And pardon the expression, but often sheep are dumb. And we need to be told over and over and over. We need to be consoled with God's word. We need to be told, yes, this, that's, the, that's the way. Go th th those doors over there, those are the ones I want you to go through. You know the ones I spoke to you about five years ago? Yes, you still haven't gone through them. Don't go through that door. Go through that door. And we need to hear it over and over and over. And here is God repeating his promise to Abram. Now consider and remember Abram and Sarah's position. They were old, they were advanced in years, they were beyond bearing children. There was no way, physically, humanly speaking, that this could happen. And yet God had told them that it would happen. And we find, as the Holy Spirit wrote through Paul's pen, in Romans chapter 4, he said, and he spoke these words, God calls those things that are not as though they were. You see, that's faith. That's trusting in God. That's believing God's word. And now God is graciously repeating to Abram these things. Verse 17, listen, arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. You see, now God's taking it another step. He's saying, I'm not just telling you that I'm gonna bless you. I'm not just telling you that there's a promise. I'm not just telling you that one day this land will be yours. He's saying, now, I want you to take your faith to the next level and I want you to walk the land. And as you walk through this land, I think reading between the lines a bit, he's saying to Abram, walk through this land for I will give it to you. Walk through and think about it. Walk through and pray. Walk through and remember that I've spoken to you and I've said that I would do this. Now, did he have the title deed to any of this land? Was there any legal transaction that had taken place? No. God said, go walk the land. And so he goes out and he begins to walk the land. And he begins to continue in his obedience. God wants us, you and I, to do something similar to what he's telling Abram here, to explore the promises of God to explore what he has for us to lift up our eyes and to look from where we are and then begin to walk. This is the path, walk ye in it. Then Abram, verse 18, moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre. So now he's beginning to take those steps of faith and to go out into the land and to move in the direction where he's walking through the land, its length and its width. He dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and he built an altar there to the Lord. The name Mamre means vision. Lift up your eyes from where you are. He must have seen 
Mamre, and so he went in that direction. The word Hebron means communion. Abram went to a place of communion with God and received vision. And he walked in the Lord's vision for himself, and he walked in communion with the Lord. And we're told here that now he builds another altar to the Lord. This is now the third altar that Abram is building. And every time we see someone building an altar, certainly Abram, remember it's worship. And worship is humbling ourselves before God. You see, Abram built an altar to worship because he was saying to the Lord, much as, you know, for example, Mary said after the, the Holy Spirit had revealed to her that she would be the mother of the Lord, she said, may it be to me according to your word. And so Abram now building this altar, no doubt thinking or saying something like that in his own life, may it be to me according to your word. Realizing his constant need for communion, realizing that his failure, his lapse of faith that happened to him down in Egypt now became his instructor. It now became something he could learn from. And certainly, as we have our own failures and our own lapses of faith, as we look back on those, we are not to look back on those and dwell upon them and to look upon them and say, wow, what a miserable, rotten failure I am. Yes, we know, the Lord knows that. But we are to move on from that. We are to walk from that. Paul said, this one thing I do, I forget what lies behind and I press forward for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You see, in order to grow in the Lord, in order to move forward in the Lord, we have to lift our eyes up from where we are. We have to look and see what the vision is that God has for us. We have to go to the place of memory, to the place of Hebron to have communion, to find fellowship with God, and to allow him to give us the vision for our lives, and then to walk in that vision that he has given us. Whatever that vision may be. You know, vision is, is something that the Bible tells us <clears throat> in the book of Proverbs. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish. You see, we need hope, we need direction, we need purpose in our lives. God didn't save you and me to leave us on the path that we were on before we were saved. God didn't save us to leave us to our own devices. You see, all the promises of God, Paul wrote in Corinthians, are, are in him, in Christ, yes and amen. The promises are for us, the promises are active, the promises are meant for us to follow, for us to claim. No, not in some haphazard, you know, word of faith, name it and claim it way, but the promises of God are for us. They are to inspire our faith. We are to cry out to God and say, God, what does this promise mean? How does it work itself out in my life? How do I walk by faith in these things that you have for me? And you see, I can't tell you and no one can actually tell you what those promises are for your life or what that division is for your life. You can only determine that as you go to communion with the Lord, as you lift your eyes up from where you are and as you seek his face, you see he will, he will reveal it to you. You remember the dream that uh, the Lord gave to Samuel when he was a boy? Three times he heard this voice speaking to him, calling his name. And finally Eli the prophet said to him, okay, the next time you hear it, 
Say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. You see, there's the attitude. There's the attitude God's looking for. Is that the attitude you have? Is that the attitude that you want to have? To hear the voice of God. To say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. You see, we should not abandon the altar as Abram did when he went down to Egypt. Stay at the altar. Stay in the place of communion. Actively, if you haven't already done this in your life, begin seeking the Lord for his vision for your life. And then, as he speaks to you, if you're seeking him, you have to be willing to listen and obey, even if it's frightening. Even if the uncertainty scares you. Listen, faith means risk. But risk taken with God is not haphazardness and it's not carelessness. Faith and risk taken with God means trust. It means Father knows best. It means that God knows what is best for me in my life. Don't be like Lot, living according to sight. Be like Abram, living according to faith. Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you this morning for how you have spoken to us. Thank you for the encouragement. Now, Lord, show us what all this means. Show us how it applies to our lives. Show us, Lord, how to seek you as we get up in the morning or evening or whenever it is and we open your word and we read it. God, speak to us. Minister to us. And may we have ears to, to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to understand the things that you have for us. God, as we lift up our eyes from where we are to see all that you have for us, may you truly give us vision. And Lord, that vision can be small, it can be great. Whatever it is, we want to be open to it. And Lord, this morning, if there be any here among us or any listening online or even later listening to an archive of this, I pray, God, that if they don't know you, if they've never trusted in you, that this might become for them the moment where they turn to you and say, Lord Jesus, I come to you and I realize I need you. Lord, forgive me of my sin. I now turn from my ways to your ways. Lord, I don't know what any of this means, but Lord, show me. And Lord, I come to you now. Please come into my life. Thank you for saving me by your death on the cross. And this morning, if that's you, we want to speak with you. We want to encourage you. And for those of us this morning, perhaps, who just need to come back to the Lord and return to the altar, then as we sing this last song, we pray that God will just minister to you. And if we can pray for you and encourage you, please come up and talk to us so that we can uh, just put our hand on our back and pray for you and ask the Lord to give you that vision for your life. God, we bless your holy name. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. All right, let's stand and worship the Lord.